This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. The racial and ethnic composition of the student population in U.S. public schools has changed substantially over the course of the 21st century. Not long ago, 80% of the student population was white, but today it is little better than 50%. Much the same pattern holds for Massachusetts. The share of minority students has increased from about 20% in 1998 to around 35% in 2016. Meanwhile, the percentage of teachers remains 90% white. These facts have stirred considerable comment, especially since a few studies suggest that minority students learn more when taught by a teacher that shares their ethnic background. Well, what accounts for these results? Are superintendents and principals racists that refuse to hire minority teachers? Do minority students, when they become adults, refuse to go back into the classroom, or is something else going on? To explore where racial disparities originate, uh, Melanie Rusinski, a doctoral student at Harvard University, and Josh Goodman, a professor at Brandeis University, have taken a deep dive into the teacher certification, teacher recruitment pipeline in Massachusetts. And I'm pleased to have Melanie Rusinski with me on the Education Exchange today. Thank you, Melanie, for joining me on the Education Exchange. <laughs> Thank you for having me. A layperson is probably going to explain this disparity rather simply, Melanie. So tell me why uh, it isn't just the story that uh, the minority population in the United States is younger than the older population. And uh, over time, these numbers are inevitably going to change as uh, the minority population ages. And also, you need a college degree to teach. So uh, why isn't this just the case that a higher percentage of uh, white uh, students are going on to college uh, as compared to minority students? Aren't these just the two big reasons why this, is, uh, this disparity exists? Sure. I think those two factors certainly explain part of the gap, and we definitely see that in Massachusetts, that over time, this racial gap between the makeup of the teaching workforce and the makeup of the student body has gotten smaller. Um, but what we've also seen is that it's pretty much leveled out in recent years. So even though adults should be still getting more diverse, the teacher workforce has failed to reflect that increasing diversity as this more diverse young population ages into the teaching profession age. And we also find that although gaps in educational attainment that are required to become a teacher can explain part of the gap. There's actually a much smaller gap between the racial makeup of K-12 students and college students in Massachusetts than there is between K-12 students and teachers. Uh, so actually, Well, that's true oh. <laughs> for African Americans. Uh, I, I, when I'm looking through your report, I saw that the 7% of students in college among, uh, for 7% of African-Americans uh, making up the college uh, population in Massachusetts is, is almost the same as the 8% that's enrolled in, in elementary and secondary schools. So that there isn't much difference there for African, but for Hispanics, it's still quite a difference. I mean, 15% of the student population uh, is Hispanic, but only 8% or 7% are in, in college. So it would seem to me there's quite a, a, a drop-off within the Hispanic community at this point in, in time. Is that, I think I've got your, your data correct. Correct me if that's, if that's wrong. Uh, no, that's correct. Um, and it's also the case that actually the 
The results that we show in our brief compare public school students to all four-year college students, and that also includes some students who are coming from out of state. So it could be that a lot of these students may not um, stay in Massachusetts to teach after they graduate anyway. Uh, but I think it's still important that what we do see, even though um, even though the percentage of four-year college students who are Hispanic is considerably smaller than the percentage of K-12 students, the percentage who are then going on to become teachers in Massachusetts is even smaller, about half as large as the Hispanic population enrolled in college in Massachusetts. So that's still so that's only going part thing. of the way so, to explain so the gap. It, it's, uh, so of the, if you look at the percentage of students in college and the percentage of students who are going into teaching, there's a, there's a, a differential of about f four or five percent, right? It falls from around, what, eight percent to four percent or seven percent to three and a half or something like that. Uh, so, so why is that? Why is it that uh, the proportionate number of students aren't just going into teaching? Well, unfortunately, this is one of the questions that our brief can't answer because we're only able to observe individuals once they actually take the certification test in Massachusetts. And this is a really important question, especially since I think it's something that other studies have found sort of nationwide, that black and Hispanic college graduates are much less likely to enter teaching than white college graduates. And so tell yeah. us about this certification test. Sure. What is uh, I've, the name of it is what? Communication and English? Communications and Literacy. Uh, communications test. and Literacy yes. Test. <laughs> the CNL test, we could call it, right? The Communications and Literacy Test. So what is this test? So it's sort of the basic skills test that teachers are required to take to teach in Massachusetts. So there's a whole battery of certification tests um, that one would have to take depending on what grade level, what subject they want to be teaching, but what's unique about this um, CNL test or the COMLET test as we call it throughout the brief is that every teacher is required to take it to eventually receive their license. And it has just a reading section and a writing section. Um, and you and take that in college? Uh, most teachers take it when they are, yes, early on in a licensure program. So yes, during college. Um, although we, we aren't able to observe quite like the precise timing, unfortunately, of when teachers take it in their degree, just because our data is a little bit messy. Um, but most teachers take it. So this is the big this is the big uh, uh, choke point in the pipeline, so to speak. This is where the, you see a pretty s significant drop off in the share of the minority population, Hispanic and black population, especially. Uh, you see a big drop off there uh, in the in the in the share that is taking the test. But that could simply be because they want a different career for themselves. They may have other opportunities out there that look a lot more attractive than going into teaching. So uh, what do you suspect is going on here? I think that could absolutely be the case. And I think it's something that's a very, it's a very important question to ask when we're talking about these issues, because we don't want to be forcing people into careers that they don't want to go into. Um, and it's an important question to ask all the time why some people choose to become teachers and others don't and how we can 
change or improve the pool of people who are deciding to become teachers. Um, again, unfortunately, our brief, we don't see people when they're in college. Um, we don't have any kind of survey data that could speak to why students aren't choosing to become teachers. Um, so now this is college enrollment data that you have. You have college degree attainment data. So do we know what percentage of uh, minority students uh, are graduating from college as distinct from being enrolled in college? And do you see a similar drop off just if you looked at the, the uh, we know that a lot of students are not graduating from college. We know that there's a lot of SES disparities there in the graduation rates from college. So um, could it be part of this broader uh, phenomenon out there that there's just a lot of students who begin college who, who don't finish college rather than something specific to teaching? Um, it could be that. So I don't have those numbers in the brief, although I think uh, Massachusetts may have some of them online or there are other public data sources where one could look into that. But I think something that's important to remember about this test is that students are taking it, most students are taking it before they receive a college degree. So even if there were um, racial gaps in college graduation, they still, it wouldn't make sense for them to explain this since most students are taking it well before they graduate. Yeah, but a lot of the dropout in college takes place in the first year or the second year, and people may be concentrating, making decisions as to what area they're going to concentrate on in college, you know, late in their second year or in their third year. Uh, so, I mean, that is a rival hypothesis out there, right, that it could be just a more general phenomenon in colleges rather than something specific to the field of education. Uh, sure, although a, a lot of the students who I think are entering teaching in Massachusetts are coming from kind of four-year undergraduate teacher ed, teacher education programs. Mm -hmm. So these programs, although, again, I don't have, or I haven't really been able to tell in my data, to confirm this in my data, but people who work in the state and are able to observe this better have told me that students who are in these teacher education programs take this test quite early on in the degree. Um, so maybe maybe some of it is dropout in this first or second year, but I think students, a lot of them can also be taking this test quite early on in the degree well before they'd be dropping out. So uh, do you think that the test itself is a deterrent for minority students to go into teaching? The fact that they have to take a specific test, the high stakes test in order to, in order to enter the profession is one of the reasons why uh, you're getting minority students not going into education, into, into the teaching profession. I don't think that we have data, or, or I certainly don't know of any research that could speak to that as a potential explanation. Because if they do take the test, they're likely to pass. I mean, we see a little drop off there, but it's not that big, right? It's, right, the, it's yeah. the decision not to take the test that you see the biggest drop off. You don't see it particularly. Uh, minority students are just about as likely to pass that test as are uh, as are, uh, in fact, most students do pass the test, don't they? Most pe people who take the test eventually pass it either the first time, for, which is the case with many of them, or, or subsequently for, for a few more, right? Yes. Um, minority candidates are a little bit less likely to pass than white candidates, but it's certainly not the point where we see like, the biggest drop-off in the pipeline. Um, so, 
Yeah, mm -hmm. and once they have taken the test and once they have passed the test, then there's really not much further drop off in the pipeline, right? It's pretty, pretty stable after that. We don't see a lot of evidence that principals and superintendents are perfectly willing to take minority students, just as willing to take minority teachers, new teachers coming in or minority as, as any other uh, student, any other applicant. Yes, absolutely. And that's something that's really interesting that we find that's actually a little bit different from research in other settings, where we do see these kind of small initial gaps in, in passing the test, and we also see a little bit of a gap in getting licensed. Um, but once teachers are licensed, or if we, if we only look at the pool of candidates who are licensed, minority candidates are about as likely as white candidates to get a job and to stay in teaching, which is different from other places that find minority candidates less likely than white candidates to get jobs and less likely to stay in teaching. So in Massachusetts, they actually kind of make up the gaps at the beginning by the end of the pipeline. So by the end of the pipeline, uh, and three years into you, you have a measure that which, which checks to see, are you still teaching three years after you began teaching? I think, right? Yes, yeah. So I have year-by-year -year personnel data, so I essentially constructed that measure, and part of the reason I chose it is because three years is the time to tenure in Massachusetts. So it seems like a reasonable, if you if you stayed around, we can kind of call that retention. So we could sort of say uh, minority teachers are just as likely to get tenure once they start teaching as white teachers are. So that's further yes, evidence that the administrative system in Massachusetts is looking like it's not got a highly discriminatory uh, uh, bias to it. Yes. <laughs> it, I mean, so, yes, I would say these numbers don't suggest bias, although, of course, there could still be bias. And I think there is work on, like, principal-teacher race match as well. It's also important. So I'm certainly not going to come out and say there's no bias. <laughs> but the but there's certainly no evidence in the data you presented that can support that uh, that argument, it seems. Uh, yes. Yeah. So you included Asians as a minority group in your analysis, and that's a little different from what other studies have done, and I'm wondering exactly why you chose to do that. Uh, you know, there's a uh, a, a lot of disputation over that point, and so uh, it's not, I don't know what the right answer is, but why did you choose to include Asians as part of your definition of a of minority? So I think in this brief, what we're really asking is we're, we're comparing students to teachers in Massachusetts, and we're asking what would it take to get a teacher workforce that looks more like students. And in Massachusetts, um, even if maybe academic outcomes of Asian students are different from those of black and Hispanic students, it's still the case that the Asian student population is much larger than the Asian teacher population. So in that sense, I think they can still be considered a, a minority group in this case, that they still have the same representation problems that black and Hispanic students so have. Is, uh, but is that not also due to the fact that the Asian student population is larger than the adult population in the in Massachusetts uh, well I don't know the answer <laughs> to that question I am just wondering if that's not the case sure. I don't know if you have any data on that 
I mean, again, we've seen that the K-12 population is sort of growing and the minority representation in the K-12 population is growing and growing. And in the teacher population, it's growing, but not as quickly and has kind of leveled out. And that shouldn't be the case if it's just about kids versus adults because mechanically they should just be converging Well, it could easily other. be if you've got more and more Asians coming in uh, and bringing in large families. And I mean, a lot can happen uh, based on differential birth rates and also migration rates into the state. So yeah, you can't sort of just, uh, and time, we know that there's been a, a fairly rapid change in the composition of the U.S. student population, both in terms of uh, black population hasn't changed much, but the uh, Hispanic population has been a huge growth among uh, young people, the student population in the last 20 years, and uh, also Asian. Those are the two big growth se segments of the, of the uh, uh, you know, high, high school and elementary school population. So, so you can't rule out. Now, what do you find with respect to uh, Asians? Late, what's the pipeline look for them? Are they also less likely to take the examination? They make up a smaller portion of exam takers than white exam takers do. Um, and they also uh, show the same pattern as black and Hispanic students, where the college population of Asian students is quite a bit larger than the population of Asian candidates taking this test. Um, once again, we don't know if that's because Asians just want something else to do in life sure. besides going oh, to teach. Oh, of teaching. course. I, I yeah. think it's absolutely that. I think absolutely a large part of the story here is that these students want to do something else other than teaching. And I think a natural follow-up question to this work and something that we hope to explore further is what is it and how can we make teaching more like these other jobs that people are choosing. Well, one of the things we do in teaching is we pay everybody exactly the same salary based on their credentials and on the basis of the number of years of teaching. So every teacher who's a beginning teacher is going to be paid the same salary if they're working within the same school district uh, and if they've got the same credentials. So uh, other professions may be uh, more flexible in that regard. Let's say if there's a shortage of uh, minority attorneys and a law firm feels like it needs to strengthen itself in that regard, they may go out and make uh, an exceptional offer to somebody. And that's, um, that's probably perfectly permissible by the marketplace. So uh, is the inflexibility of our pay schedules in education the, a, a problem here? I think that's an empirical question that I cannot answer with the, with the analysis suspect? that I've done what do so you far. Suspect? <laughs> I think that the teacher pay is certainly a barrier to people entering the profession, and particularly for students who are more likely to come from low-income backgrounds, which is certainly true of a lot of minority students, um, where it just may not be economically feasible for them to take they can earn more money elsewhere. Job. Yes, they well, can. A lot earn of people want to earn as much money as they can when they leave college. Yeah, so absolutely. <laughs> that would be true of uh, white students and and minority students and uh, students from rich families and students from poor. But I've have not seen a lot of difference. People will like jobs that pay better, generally speaking. <laughs> all other things being equal. 
Uh, that's true, although I think there are certainly differences by, by family background in terms of what jobs students are able to take after college. Yeah, there's some are and altruistic and are looking at. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's, that's certainly true. Uh, and of course, teaching can be very appealing to people who do have an altruistic motive and do want to go in. And they, 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 it's a helping profession, and a lot of people go into teaching for, for, for non-monetary reasons. Absolutely, you're right. So this is a, a fascinating set of findings, and uh, I, uh, but so what do you recommend? What's the policy recommendation here? So I think the, uh, as we've now said several times, I think one of the biggest things here is actually to kind of get this data and information from earlier in the pipeline and see what are the reasons why people are choosing not to enter teaching and why these rates are so different by race. But I think within the pipeline itself, we do see these gaps in passing the certification test and we do see this small gap in getting a license even among candidates who have passed the test. And these are points that the state can actually intervene once they've seen people take the test. Ah, so you are recommending we get rid of the teacher's license. Is that <laughs> is that what we should do? I mean, that, that, that's not an unusual recommendation. There is the alternative certification policy in, in many states, not in Massachusetts, but many states say we are going to let any principal, any superintendent hire whomever they wish regardless, as long as they have a college degree, whether or not they've taken these education courses and, and, and uh, passed all, all these uh, regulative regulations that, set up, that are set up for the license. So is that the implication that you're offering here? Uh, I am not going to <laughs> come out strongly in favor of abolishing licensure. Why? But I, why? <laughs> um, I mean, your evidence is suggesting that it's a barrier for minorities. One thing is among candidates who are taking this test, we see a gap in passing that is not entirely driven by um, candidate scores the first time they take the exam. So we see that, for example, minority candidates are less likely to retake the test if they fail it the first time than white candidates who got the exact same scores. So this seems like kind of an easy, like maybe you offer fee waivers or maybe you remind candidates that retaking is a possibility. Like these are kind of small fixes within the system that might be able to make up that gap almost completely. Um, and similarly with licensure, I mean, we see in a lot of places that administrative barriers can be um, can prevent people from making progress through whether it's financial aid applications, college applications, anything of that nature. That's likely to include these licensure applications as well, and it could just be a matter of like some paperwork that needs to be done. Um, and these are things that the state can look into and see are there what are the reasons why once teachers have passed this exam they're still not getting a license what are the additional steps that they need and just kind of help teachers through the pipeline to complete those steps um, without necessarily making any strong statements about the normative value of licensure well the empirical evidence on licenses is that they're not the people who hold these licenses are not any better a teacher not any more effective in the classroom if you look at the studies that have looked at how much students learn in, in, in a classroom, they learn as much from a teacher who doesn't have a license as they do from one that does have the license. There's been quite a number of studies out there that show that. So that's of, often been cited as a good reason for abandoning these licenses. But you've given a different set of reasons here that it actually may be a discriminatory policy that's 
has a negative effect on recruitment of minorities into the educational system. I think those kind of questions, it's a little bit outside the scope of work like this. And another point I would emphasize is that even though there are these gaps in in passing and in licensure, they're very, very small compared to this gap at the beginning of the pipeline, which is just why do so many fewer minority students choose to become teachers, which I think is a really important question. And being able to answer that and kind of address the gap at that stage of the pipeline would have a much larger impact on teacher diversity um, than abolishing licensure in our data, at least. Yeah, but I do think your data has opened up a whole host of vastly interesting questions, and I just think it's a a remarkable accomplishment that you've been able to dig into this data and and to give us the storyline that allows us to, to think about this question in a deeper way. So thank you very much, Melanie, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you, it's been a great discussion. <laughs> I have been speaking with Melanie Rusinski, a doctoral student at Harvard University. She and Josh Goodman of Brandeis University have just released a study through the Rappaport Institute for Greater Boston at Harvard University. And this study has tracked the racial and ethnic disparities that occur in the pipeline through which people travel on their way to becoming a teacher in Massachusetts. Thank you, Melanie, for joining me on the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.